Welcome to the Growing Family Podcast. We're a family of four discovering what it means to grow our family and our farm one season, one seed, and one animal at a time. Get ready to grow with us. Today we're talking about wine. Hello everybody. Welcome back to the Growing Family Podcast. And we are going to talk about wine today because why not? There you go. That's a good wine pun. Yeah, much better. Um, we tried to record that earlier. It didn't turn out very good. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you can't. You gotta. Sometimes you have to force it. Mm-hmm. That's called a dad joke. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, if you force it, it just sounds cheesy. Is there not a mom joke? Um, no, moms are always serious. Yeah, if you start saying mom joke, people get really mad, like me. <laughs> Well, um, before we get into talking about wine and how you can maybe create your own vineyard in your backyard, we're going to do a brief garden and family update. Yeah. So this week we were able to attend a, an event, um, basically, I guess the group is called, um, well-watered gardens of Johnson County, but it's a part of a greater group called well-watered gardens, um, which is a, it's a super awesome group. If they have one in your region, I would suggest joining it. Um, but this time we were installing a small garden bed at the Aberdeen Farm in Barkersville, Indiana. It was pretty. It was pretty good. I would say that the um, the garden bed install was mm-hmm. a small portion, and then the rest of it was a lot more just like community building and just getting to know people. Um, you can hear uh, Emery in the background sneezing. sneezing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. It was a it was a good time um, of meeting new people mm-hmm. and just learning a little bit about about each other, but also about gardening and about um, just sustainable living in general. Mm-hmm. And it was a really awesome time for the kids, well Gideon, to get to run around <laughs> and like climb on mulch piles and like jump on a trailer and just. Yeah, I brought toys and he didn't play with them until the very end for like two seconds. Yeah, they have <laughs> the an backyard orchard. was his toy. They have an orchard out there. Um, that I help out a little bit with. Um, so I was checking out their peach trees, which really got rocked by the, Mm -hmm. this winter and the, uh, the early, or I guess late freeze that we had, um, just recently. And so Gideon walked out there with me and we were checking out, um, peach trees and buds that were not looking so great, but yeah, it was a good time. Can Um, you tell them about, um, what he did that made you proud? I mean, you're always proud of him, you say. Oh, I mean, I just thought it was cool that to watch him playing and, and like, working things out. Like, he got on top of a trailer and was trying to get off the trailer, and he's, like, not a very tall child. So mm-hmm. he was trying to figure out the best way to dismount this trailer. And it was like, he did it one way, then, it, like, it became pretty obvious that he was going to fall and hurt himself if he kept doing that. And so he stopped and then got back on the trailer and kind of, like, looked at it and then approached it a different way and eventually he got himself down i didn't even have to help him so wow. it was really impressive to me to just watch him kind of like problem solve yeah you know? how we talked about last week allowing your child to do the dangerous not really dangerous but the hard thing in front of you so then you can help them through it and also they can learn how to do it so then they're doing it the right way you know like dangerous being like maybe going down a ladder not like something that they can't do yeah but i mean something that they could maybe get hurt if they didn't do it properly so then you know you can make sure they do it the right way when you're not around you have to gauge the level of risk i guess yeah. is, is what you're saying is like you have to okay what 
if this goes terribly wrong, what's uh-huh. the worst case scenario? Like I like he was playing on a trailer that had like a piece of particle board on it. Like worst case scenario, he trips and falls and gets a splinter. Or, you know, if he falls off the trailer, you know, I checked all the corners and all the metal wasn't any jagged metal yeah. or anything. Um, so yeah, maybe he would have fallen in the gravel and yeah. scuffed up his knee or something, but he had long pants on. So I really wasn't that concerned about him actually getting like seriously injured. He, I'm sure he would have got scrapes and bruises and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're all going to get those. You can't protect your kids from mm-hmm. ever getting hurt in any way at all. And if you do, then they're going to miss out on a lot of life Yeah, and they're not going to be prepared to be an adult. So yeah. in that case, it was more of just like, um, evaluating the risk, which in that case, to me, it wasn't high. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of give him as much space to play within that risk level that I was comfortable with. Like at one point he took off running, got about a quarter mile away. And I'm, I'm like, uh, well, the distance between me and him and the distance between him and a road is getting a little too dangerous for me. So I'm going to take off after him. Um, but yeah, he did just fine. Um, he had a good time. He got really mm-hmm. dirty. It was great. Took a long nap, too. Very long. that was nice. Yeah, and then we went to the zoo earlier in the week, and that was really fun. We went with Grandma. Um, So my mom, she goes by Grandma. And, um, yeah, he just really enjoyed seeing things. He's been there before, but it's been a while. So seeing things that he hasn't seen up close very recently, it was, like, all brand new to him. Yeah. And he went on a carousel for the first time. He was kind of scared, but... Um, after like the initial starting off, he started to really enjoy it. He liked it. it. Yeah. He awesome. Did. At yeah. first he was like, oh my goodness, this is moving. <laughs> like it shouldn't be. Um, and then what else did he do that was new? It was like the carousel. Oh, and then we went on the train ride, which you don't really see any animals when you're on the train ride. We thought we'd see tons of animals, but we just saw workers like waving at us <laughs> behind the scenes. Like you're watching people like scoop up like elephant poop and stuff like that. And you're <laughs> yeah. just like, wow. And they all stop and they wave. It's like staged. It's oh funny. Gosh. But it was kind of a nice break for me and my mom because, yeah, we got to. Yeah, it's good to get out of the house and do something interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the train ride itself was like kind of relaxing for mm-hmm. us because um, we were all tired after that. It's, it's been funny. nice this week. I mean, it was probably yeah. a little warm. Yeah, and being out in the sun, it's good for you, and it gets you tired in a good way. Like, you know, you did something that day. You didn't just sit inside and watch TV or Mm -hmm. do something like that. So, So, yeah, that was awesome. I'm glad you guys got to do that, and then I'm glad we all got to go to that gardening workshop. Also, once we got back from that, I was inspired. So I um, took some plants that we got there and also some starts that we had done, which I think we did a podcast on doing those starts and I need to finish that blog but regardless mm-hmm. um we uh we took some of the plants that we had started in the uh, window wells and then some of that we got at the well watered gardens event and uh, I planted out the planter that I built which is nice um it's all it's got more plants in it right now than it will be able to hold um yeah. but I'd rather overplant and then lose some and then have to thin or whatever, um, then underplant and then have like a huge garden box with like four plants in it. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was fun. I, we, let's see, Gideon came out with me and we um, got a couple more little planters ready and, you know, sowed some more seeds. You picked out some of those. Mm-hmm. I think we did, oh, some more broccoli and 
sunflower carrots. seeds and bush beans and carrots. I direct sow the carrots because carrots are just like, you don't want to transplant. Like, never, don't buy carrots at the store and then try to transplant them. Like, just don't mess with carrot roots. Just sow the seeds in the ground mm-hmm. unless you have just like the worst possible soil. Um, then amend it and then sow the seeds, whatever, and then you're good. Um, but other than that, what else did we plant? We did some other spinach and stuff like that, but it was good. We got, we got caught up on some gardening in the yard. I mowed the lawn and it was just a good time. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll have a wine in our back, you know, vineyard in our backyard. (laughs) We're just going to have a wine in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Just one wine. I was looking at my notes and said wine in your backyard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so if you plant a vineyard, then you, <laughs> one of the options is that you can have wine in your backyard. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> but you have to make the wine. It doesn't just grow off trees nope, and bottles. It, it just so happens. I mean, you can, you could always plant, uh, like table grapes and then you can just have grapes that you just eat off yeah. the vine in your backyard, which you could make wine from. Uh, that's not going to be as good as grapes that you grow that are specifically bred for wine making, but, right. um, that's, that is your choice. Yeah. So do you want to tell our listeners about your wine experience in California, Stephen? Yeah, I guess I can give like a quick overview. So I was, I was going to Purdue, um, looking for, I had, I was getting a degree in agriculture, looking for, you know, what am I going to do for a career? And, um, to me, uh, just planting rows and rows of soybeans and corn and wheat or whatever just did not seem like a good long-term solution, which we've talked about in this podcast before, um, you know, just traditional row crop agriculture, um, just not not my cup of tea. It didn't make sense to me. At, even at the time, I was just like, that sounds boring. Um, and this is before I was introduced to permaculture, before I even really thought about whole system thinking and like trying to like function stack plant material and, and we do a, have a podcast about that. Right? Yeah, function. yeah. Well, for all chickens, of these subjects, we have a podcast. Yeah. About. <laughs> But yeah, just in general, um, it to me just planting a thousand acres of soybeans didn't really appeal to me, and so I was looking for something a little more interesting. And I got the opportunity to go out to California and work uh, for E and J Gallo as a as an intern, and so I went out there for about seven months and spent time working for their uh, research and development department, um, basically just being the grunt worker to drive to all these vineyards and, and sample grapes. Um, like I would, I would do that. I have this whole method of how we do the, the sampling, but basically the gist of it is I'd go out into the vineyard into specific spots, collect grapes, grape clusters. And then I would like smash them all up in a bag and then I would test them for their sugar content. And when it got to a certain point, um, of like sugar content, then, um, basically we would report back and they would tell the vineyard owners to go ahead and harvest, um, that way they, they could have that as a service for themselves. Um, so that was the gist of my job is it wasn't, I don't want to say it was boring. It was not, it was, it is boring. The exact work I was doing was boring, but it's beautiful. I mean, I'm driving to Mm -hmm. eight, 10, 12 vineyards in a day all over California. You got to taste tests, right? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. as a part of the internship, we would do like ta- like wine tastings and like wine t- tasting training, which was super cool because we shared a a building with the the department that like basically takes all the different parts of the grape 
and can distill out specific like terpenes and anthocyanins and just like different chemical compounds that do certain things and like they just do so many things there's a whole chemistry department right there that we're kind of right next to and so we would do wine tastings with them and just pairings and just these just these beautiful learning experiences and so um, that that I will always you know cherish and love those those um, experiences. But the actual job itself was a little boring. Um, just the whole atmosphere around it was awesome. So mm-hmm. I would decided to do it again. I went back the next year, but I got an internship with the the grape breeder. So he takes. What was your intern title then? The first time uh, it's called the VCE intern it was like super boring. And then the second time. Uh, the second time I was. Uh, I can't even remember the, the title of it. It was basically like I went out. We had this uh, vineyard where we would do crosses. So they would take like this type of grape has like super dark color. And then this type of grape has like these crazy flavors. Um, and so they would cross the two. Mm-hmm. And then they would take the seeds from those crosses and plant them out into this vineyard. And they would do like thousands of these crosses to, you know, just to see what would happen. And so there's just acres and acres of a vineyard where each individual vine is genetically unique and so in theory could produce you know a unique flavor or a unique um, color or you know unique growth habit maybe they just have a million clusters on one vine or they have these huge grapes or they taste like juicy fruit or you know they have like super thick skin or whatever there's a there's so many different things that you can look for and so um, I would go out to the vineyard and basically just take notes on the flavors and the colors and the shapes and the sizes of the clusters and the leaves and the vines themselves and everything. So it was just really cool because I got to just like get intimate with the types of vines that there are, all the different variations within grapes. Um, my, my personal project that I was on was... Um, it was like, it was called fruitful, um, what is it called? Fruitful secondary, um, I can't even remember now. Basically when the vine grows a new shoot, that shoot will have shoots that grow off of it that tend to not have, um, clusters of grapes on them. So like the initial shoot, you'll usually get, uh, like your first, your first three like nodes, you'll get fruits like fruit clusters on them Mm -hmm. but then after that it's just like leaves because in general the plant is trying to have like i think it's like 10 leaves per grape cluster to collect because every leaf on a plant is like a solar panel and then every fruit on a any plant is going to be a net like sink for energy and sugars so that plant has to uptake nutrients from the ground and from the sun and put them into the fruit and how are you going to get that energy? You have to have your solar panels, which are your leaves. So you're going to have like two, three, maybe four clusters of grapes on your first few nodes. And then after that, the plant's just like, let me put out solar panels because now I have to support these, you know, these fruits that I've now put on. So my project was on, there are certain types of grapevines that on the secondary shoots that come off the main shoot, they also have grape clusters. Oh. And the idea was if you can isolate the types of vines that have that, then maybe you can get more yield per vine or even you could have uh, two 
um, two harvests in a year. So you could grow your grapes, have that first harvest off those first vines, and then now the second ones are grown out, and you get a second harvest. That was the idea. So, yeah, so that was, that's uh, actually became the long version of my history with grapes. But so I came back to Indiana after I was out there and um, got a, not an internship, but basically like just helped out at some local um, wineries that happened to also have vineyards, just doing pruning and just that kind of stuff. So uh, helping out with the crush and and some of the winemaking parts of that as well. So I've, I've worked at two or three wineries in indiana sugar creek um sugar creek winery up in monticello and then also um <laughs> hey emery she's blowing bubbles yeah she's blowing bubbles and then also um um what's the other one i don't oh, know no, white horse winery is the one up in monticello sugar creek is in in carmel indiana mm-hmm. that's where the winery is so mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's been a it's been an interesting journey. Obviously, that's not my career that I'm going for right now. Um, but how do you get a career in that? Just like a short version. Don't you don't have to tell me everything. But um, like, do you have to go to school or do you just start getting experience? I think it probably depends. Like, so if you're in California, you you should probably get a, a viticulture degree. Um, I would say, especially if you're going to go into like the grape growing part of it. But if you're going to be a wine maker then um, a chemistry degree would help. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you wanted to get like a food, like a, f- I, like, uh, I have like a food and agribusiness minor. Um, yeah. So that would help because then it helps you understand like just like food and health and safety things involved right. in that. But it's a lot of chemistry cool. involved in wine, in the wine making process. But it's like in California, like UC um, degrees, you could probably get a degree literally in winemaking, but I don't think that there's much available in the East for that. Um, you'd probably just get an ag degree if you wanted to grow grapes and you'd probably just get a regular chemistry degree or like some kind of food yeah. or botany degree. I don't know what you'd do on, on this side of the United States. Cause there's just not as many careers, right? You know, like, like the vineyards that I help out in Indiana, like they are mostly volunteer based. Yeah. You know, you have a few employees and then everybody else just gets like a bottle of wine for helping, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's a lot harder on this side of the United States to actually have a, like a full on career in winemaking mm-hmm. or actually in wine grape growing winemaking. I mean, shoot, you can, cause you can import juice oh, from, yeah. from Chile or you can import juice from France or you can import juice from anywhere mm-hmm. and then just make the wine here. So wine making and like tasting rooms and stuff like that, there's still a, a lot of demand, but like actually growing the grapes, you just don't get the yields because mm-hmm. of how cold our winters are. Yeah. You looked up how much wine on average people drink a year. What was that number? Uh, what did it say? 30, something like 32, Two. about 32 gallons a year, something yeah. like that is like the average consumption per person like obviously some people are drinking like way more than that and some people are drinking none so um yeah that's what that's what google said so i don't know how you know trustworthy that is but wine is important yeah i mean there's there's some health benefits um like there's a lot of anthocyanins and like red wine and like a small amount of alcohol has been shown to be you know somewhat healthy and and when you consume it but like obviously anything in excess is going to be unhealthy yeah, don't drink while you're breastfeeding, most likely. Well, not yeah. not in excess, you know. 
I don't drink an excess ever, regardless <laughs> of if you're breastfeeding, I would say. Just, yeah. It's not good for you. Yeah. I've read online, like, you could have a drink and then wait two hours to feed your baby. Probably be okay, but definitely oh, no, best to not do it if you don't want to. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, did you read it wrong? Probably. I'm... How many ounces? 30, no, 32 bottles. I said oh. gallons. <laughs> gallons would be like so much. 32 <laughs> gallons. No, it's three. Someone's going to listen. It's 3.2 gallons we don't, per year. Yeah. 32 bottles. No one's going to trust us now. <laughs> Nobody trusts us. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. So you've always told me like you wanted to have our own little vineyard in the backyard. What can people do to have their own in the backyard if they've never done this before? What would that look like? What are some basics to know? Uh, so, hmm, where do I even start with that? Um, do you have like other more detailed questions? Because that's like a big one. And maybe some other things could well, lead into. how could they even get started to plant it? Well, you're going to have to. So, depending on where you're at and what kind of grapes you want to grow. So, there's three types of grapes, more or less. There's a lot of types of grapes, but... You have your wine grapes, which are going to have seeds. They're going to be smaller, um, a little more intense flavor. Um, and then you have your table grapes, which are uh, usually a larger size grape, tend to be seedless, and um, and it's just the pruning on those are a little different. And then um, you also have raisin grapes. So there there are different types oh, of like varieties of grapes that lend themselves to those uses. You can do... Well, we're talking about wine, so yeah. wine grapes. So you can yeah. do all three things with any grape. You can eat a wine grape, no problem. There's just going to be seeds in it. And you can make wine out of a table grape. And you can make raisins out of any grape. It's just you're going to dehydrate it. Um, but some of them just lend themselves to those uses more than yeah. others. So, if, so we're talking about wine grapes. So I would say for the most part when you go for wine grapes, you are going to end up getting um, Vitis vinifera, which is... Uh, which is basically grapes that were originated in Europe Mm -hmm. or just not in the United States, in in the old world. So the problem with that is they are susceptible to a lot of different issues that we have in our soil. Mm -hmm. And so if you planted a just straight vinifera grape into our soil, they're just going to get tore up. Like Uh they're just not going to survive. Um, and they, I don't know, there's probably places where you can grow them, but for the most part, you're going to, you're going to plant a grapevine that's grafted onto a rootstock like you would do with a dwarf apple tree or whatever, you know, any kind of, any kind of rootstock that you're going to get on a fruit tree. It's similar. Um, basically they're going to take a, a rootstock that is resistant to like the nematodes and the different types of things that we have in our soil natively here. And they're going to graft onto it a type of grapevine so like if you get a cabernet sauvignon great that cabernet sauvignon is the exact same genetic cabernet sauvignon that they originally started with in i'm gonna guess that's french so in france i can never say that one i would just say cab cab sauv um so, Sauvignon. 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 I'm not French. I don't know. I know some Spanish. That's about it. Um, so yeah, but regardless, yeah, Emily, when you get, to say it. she's just breathing heavily. Um, but yeah, so when you get that type of grape, that is the exact same. Like it's basically a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone from way back when. 
somebody found a variety that they loved, they just planted an entire vineyard of it. You know, they had the one plant, they took cuttings, they planted a vineyard of it. Mm-hmm. And that person sold cuttings to somebody else who planted it, and now there's millions of them throughout the whole world. And so the problem with that is that those might not be able to withstand the type of conditions that we have. And so that's why they use the rootstocks basically mm-hmm. is to is to be able to grow these these varieties that have been around for thousands of years in places where they haven't been around for thousands of years. So you're gonna get a you're gonna get probably a one or two year probably a two year vine. You're gonna order it from somebody for the most part. Usually, so double plug for double A vineyards is a really good one. That most people get most people that I know that have planted vineyards that's where they get all their vines so you order them online you get as many as you need they ship them to you and then you plant them and they're gonna be yeah it's gonna be a rootstock with a um, with a scion on top of it and you're gonna grow it out for three to five years of after that time then you're gonna get your full production probably after three years you'll get uh, grapes okay so your first year is a building year you're just trying to get that thing established in the ground you put it in now, this is probably a two-year vine. So this is a two-year-old plant that now you've slapped into some new soil that it's not used to. And you're going to grow it for another year, mm-hmm. at least. You may get it to your top wire. In this part of the United States, we have a lot of humidity um, and so the and, and cold winters. So we, we usually do a top wire cordon here, which is basically you grow the gra- grape plant straight up into the air. And then mm-hmm. you prune the top of it and then you allow... Um, cordons which are like branches um growing either one direction or two directions so it looks like the shape of a t basically by the time you're done so that's a top wire cordon we could go i could do like a whole podcast on grape pruning but i think yeah here we're gonna wrap up probably in the next couple minutes and do another episode for next week about maybe pruning and yeah we can get into the weeds a little more yeah but yeah so for the most part that's what you're gonna do you're gonna buy a grapevine from a company online or you could do your own grafting but that's it's just a lot of work um so you're gonna buy it from a company you're gonna slap them into the ground you're gonna baby them for a year or two maybe Mm -hmm. before they get up to the top wire and then you're gonna spend another year or two training those cordons or arms or branches whatever you want to call them out onto your um, trellis wire, which is going to support a lot of the weight of those plants when they start getting fruit on them. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, three to five years, you're going to start getting fruit. And then after five years, you're pretty much in full production mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, you can have weather events that are going to knock them down, slow them down, take them back a year, whatever. But that's kind of where you're at. So you have about a three to five year time frame from where you put that money into your vineyard to when you're actually going to start Sorry, reaping the rewards from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So you're gonna need you're gonna need grape vines. Okay. That that's kind of your progression. You're gonna need a trellis system. So you have to choose what kind of trellis system you want. And there's hundreds of different types of trellis systems. I just kind of described the top wire cordon that we usually use in this part of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a million different ones, and in, a lot of it's gonna depend on the type of grape you choose. Since we're talking about wine grapes, that's I just went there. But there's a different whole thing for table grapes for the most part. And then, yeah, you just wait. (laughs) You just manage manage the weeds and uh, you just wait until they're, you know, productive. And then you're going to... You're going to harvest. We could do a whole podcast on winemaking too. I know. This is just grape growing. Step one. 
Growing the grapes. Growing the grapes. Um, I think I had a couple notes on, like, so if you're going to decide how many you need, how many grapevines do you need? So we kind of talked about it. You know, average um, consumption is about 32 bottles a year. And so you're going to get somewhere between 1 and 10 bottles of, of uh, wine per vine. So like three. So you're probably looking at three to four vines, mm-hmm. you know, depending on your consumption, depending on um, how prolific the vine is. Some varieties are going to produce a lot more grapes per vine than others, and some are going to be less, obviously. Um, and so that's <laughs> Come on, Emery. Um, so that's that's what I would say. I would suggest per person that is going to be consuming these grapes, uh, you'd want three to four vines, and so that's and that's that's pretty manageable. I mean, at my at my dad's house, I put in a small vineyard. It's two varieties, four vines each. Um, you can there's just so yeah, we can go into so many details of different things, but that's that's the gist of it. So you're gonna want to find a variety, probably get. Th- at least four vines per, you're going to have some death, so maybe double that. So maybe you get eight to ten actual plants mm-hmm. per variety that you're looking for. And then, yeah, you just slap them in the ground, you take care of them, and and uh, the ones that survive are going to be stronger, the ones that don't, won't, and then you might have to replace them. You know, it's uh, it's not something that you are you just get to put in the ground and forget about. It does take a lot of effort and time, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Yeah. That's um but it would be worth it once you learn it and Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's like it's like an art, you know. Grape pruning is is so fun, mm-hmm. you know, cuz you get to really interact with the vines cuz you're kind of forcing them into a shape mm-hmm. that they wouldn't necessarily take on naturally. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, it's it's it is a lot more art than some other types of like agriculture would be. Yeah. But, and it's just beautiful. I mean, look at a, go look at a vineyard and tell me it's, there's not something beautiful about that, you yeah, know? definitely. It's like a cool mix of um, human ingenuity and then, like, the plant's ability to adapt, you know, to its to its situation. Just mm-hmm. It's just really cool to me. So that's that's my favorite thing. You, t- you send me out into a vineyard to go prune, and that's, like, my happy place. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thanks for sharing about... Um, how to grow some of the grapes. I know there are so many more things you could share about that, but at least a little bit of basics um, with the audience um, today. Um, Next week, we'll get a little bit more in depth on pruning and um, maybe even you'll get to hear what Stephen's favorite wine is. So stay tuned for next week. Get excited. Um, We'd love you to come back and listen in again. Um, We just really appreciate anybody who's um, taking the time to follow our family and um, to grow with us. 